Hello and welcome to the Speaking Out podcast from the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Our goal is to highlight our programs and the amazing work that they're doing around the state, provide discussion around the topics of domestic violence, and create an environment of education and empowerment for anyone that may be experiencing domestic violence. This week, we are highlighting one of our members, the Domestic Violence Resource Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I have Kristen Middleton, Executive Director, and Maria Coenas, Director of Victim Services, on to talk to me about their program and the work that they're doing at DVRC. Thank you both so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you on and to talk about DVRC. Kristen, would you like to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your role, and then about DVRC themselves? Sure. Thanks so much for having us, Rochelle. I am Kristen Middleton. I'm the Executive Director at the Domestic Violence Resource Center, DVRC, here in downtown Albuquerque. We are located at 6th and Silver in the Family Advocacy Center that houses a number of services for crime victims. In addition to us, we have other partners such as the Rape Crisis Center, Sexual Assault Nurse Examiners, SANE, uh, Enlace Comunitario, and Para Los Niños as well. There's a whole bunch of us resources here at the FAC, we call it. And basically, our services um, exist to assist victims of domestic violence throughout the course of their journey to leave their abuser. Maria, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role with DVRC? Sure. So my name is Maria Cabeñas. I am the Director of Victim Services here at DVRC. So I am in charge of the Victim Advocate Unit and Case Management. I am the one that connects basically DVRC with other resources and other resources with us. (laughs) I've been working here for three years already and I've been everywhere. I started as an advocate, then I was one of the managers, and, and now I'm the director. So I've been like in every position <laughs> that we have here, which is really helpful. <laughs> Thank you both so much for being here and making the time. So I would love to ask, I think both of you, what is some of the work that you're most proud of that DVRC does? I think that not only with the work that we do with victims, but also all of the things that we've been doing to keep our staff well. So before COVID, we had a huge team. And whenever COVID hit, we started to lose every person, you know, like everyone was not only getting sick, but also really overwhelmed with all of the cases that we were seeing. And they were also becoming really violent. So There was a lot of people leaving DVRC, like going to like different types of of works. So eventually, whenever I became the director, I started working with the team. Like I built up the team. I interviewed so many people. And now we're finally fully staffed. And I am basing everything in telling my staff how important it is for them to take care of themselves, how self-care is the first thing that they should think about because if we are not okay, we cannot provide services to other people who are going through the probably the worst thing in their lives. So that's something that uh, we've been doing like for a while now. We provide a counseling to our staff. It is actually 
mandated. We're not going to force them, but we really let them know how important it is. We just like recognize their work. And I've been noticing that everyone is really happy with it. Like the attitude change a hundred percent. And they are like so happy to be able to come and work with clients and offer all of these services and like be there for them whenever they are going through the crisis, you know. So I feel that we were able to build a really amazing team here at DVRC that supports each other. And we are there 100% for our clients because we are taking care of ourselves first. Yes, uh, that's a great point, Maria. I mean, it's just extremely difficult, as, as you can imagine, for the advocates to basically have secondary trauma. Many of them have had domestic violence experiences in their own lives, myself speaking as well. And to work with that day in and day out, hearing you know those pretty heart-wrenching stories, it can be really difficult. In fact, on the same note that Maria is talking about the self-care, recently our board has voted to create another committee within the organization that is all about the health and wellness of our employees. So added focus on that, I think, is, is going to be nothing but a, a good thing. Yes, mm-hmm. COVID was rough for, for domestic violence victims. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and it gives like this guarantee, you know, that whenever you come to DVRC, you're not going to have like a person who is burned out, like probably with too many cases, like not being able to think clearly, like you're going to have someone who is happy to work with you, like available to work with you. And like, it just makes it easier for the clients and for the advocates and case managers. Well, that is so fantastic. And usually it's one of my last questions, but since we're already on this topic, what are other ways that your organization prioritizes self-care? What kinds of things do you do as an organization for that? And then also, how do you both take care of yourselves? One of the things that we started doing was offering massages to them. So they had like one free massage a month and they were able to go and like just relax and take care of themselves. We also offer a counseling, like one session a month is fully covered by DVRC. If they are feeling sick, not only to take care of everyone right now with COVID, you know, but we really tell them like, take care of yourself. Like if you're feeling sick, we'll figure it out here. Just take that space to recover and feel better and then come back whenever you are ready. I'm always checking on them. Like I just go around and I'm like, how are you doing? Do you need help? So basically it's like just being there for them. We are an amazing team. And whenever someone is feeling overwhelmed, we are like, okay, you need to take a break, go for a walk. Like we can help you putting all this paperwork in the system. You know, we are all able to do that. So just like doing little things, it helps the staff to work better. So before they were like obsessed with this, it's like a thinking party. They were all playing with this. It's like, it was like a coping skill. And the board was so generous to just buy it for all of the advocates here. And everyone was so happy exchanging it, like the colors. <laughs> so it, it is like really like fun to work here. And like whenever they need something, we are like more than happy to get it for them. Well, and then I can speak for myself, an extremely helpful thing that I kind of fell into when I was going through my DV situation was yoga. And it basically, I've said before, yoga saved my life, you know, and I've stuck with it, you know, five years later, you know, I I definitely make it a priority to hit three to 
four classes a week. So, and I want to bring a yoga class somehow to our, to our team as well. And to our clients. Something that I do with swimming, like I've been enjoying so much swimming. So recently I started doing it again. So maybe I'm like, it's my second month doing it. And every time that I go, I just like fully forget about everything. I'm just like swimming. (laughs) So that's something that I am doing. And then obviously on my weekends, I always try to do something fun, like with my husband, with my family, like try to do something. I'm so glad that you're promoting a culture of self-care within your organization, but then also, you know, what works for you and how to, you know, maybe communicate that with your advocates so that they can hopefully do that as well. My next question is, how would you say that DVRC might be different from other programs in the state? Well, we are, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Maria, we are the only domestic violence uh, services provider who goes out into the field with police officers to deliver emergency restraining orders to assist the victim right there in that time of crisis. And yes, we, we work in tandem with Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office and APD to respond to the sites. So I believe that we are the only one in the state that, that does that. Yeah, we have that ability. I think that that's amazing. Like our field staff, they are great. They just create all of these relationships with law enforcement. Like the night staff, usually I tell them like, probably you see more the officers than us, you know, like you work more with them than with us. So yeah, that's amazing that that's something that we can provide and support a person like on the scene of domestic violence. So how is DVRC growing and innovating? What are some things that you all are doing? Well, um, COVID, as Maria alluded to, really knocked us for a loop. Um, We used to have a rather large counseling department. Uh, I think that there were at one point like eight counselors. And so the counseling department basically disbanded during COVID because they couldn't see people, you know, in person. And yes, there was the, you know, the option, you know, via Zoom or other um, options like that. But many people don't have access to a computer. Some don't even have a cell phone, the clients. So we currently, the way our staff looks is we have, there are 14 of us total employees. There are 12 advocates and myself and then an administrative assistant. Maria's in a in a producing role too and serves as an advocate in addition to being the director of victim services. So really I I think that we are trying to rebuild more so than growing at this point, which you know I guess it could be looked at that way as well. But we our hope is that in 2023 we receive enough funding that we can add at least one counselor back to our team. So, you know, as far as growing, I think we're, we're being innovative in the way that we are emphasizing self-care, as we've talked about, and then again, just rebuilding. Yeah, I think that's something that is also helping us like expand our services is that we are the pilot program for CU Safe, um, which is providing a loans to victims of domestic violence uh, through credit unions here in New Mexico without any, you know, like credit score needed. Like if if they have an awful credit score or an amazing credit score, they are going to work with them. And the idea is to be able to help them out, uh, not only to 
start over with their lives. But also one of the things that most of the victims of domestic violence go through is financial abuse. So we have a lot of clients that tell us like, this person opened so many credit cards under my name, took loans, like I am on debt. Like we help them with all of that. And then they are able to refinance things or get a new loan to be able to relocate and pay for expenses through these loans, which is amazing. So I feel that that's something that it's growing. Right now we are inviting other organizations in glasses joining next, and we are working to try and, and also support the Asian and Family Center and Rape Crisis Center. So those are the next two. But right now it's DVRC and we are like starting everything with Enlace. So the CUSA program is an amazing program. Like I think it's really important for them. And what else? Like we are also starting like medical accompaniments with SANE. And that's something that stopped on, I think it was 2019. And then after COVID, we, we never went back and we are rebuilding that too. So we are now going with our clients to the medical exams and supporting them over there too, supporting the nurses, you know, working together. It is always amazing to work with other organizations because the help is needed and the most it's better. So the clients can have access to even more resources, you know. Along the lines of growing, where would you like DVRC to be in five years, 10 years, 25 years? What are some goals that we have for DVRC? Well, as executive director, I tend to kind of look at the broad picture as operations manager type person. And my background entrepreneurial. I owned my own business um, up in Denver for about 10 years. And so I do like to think forward and create goals that are in line with a larger vision. Actually, DVRC is having the potential to be a really large organization. I mean, there's certainly no lack of clients, which is unfortunate. But you know, I just think that as we grow, and I want to grow smart, I don't want to grow too fast. And, you know, as we hone our skills, as far as what we do now, then, you know, the sky's the limit, you know, organizations such as Rape Crisis Center, that's a very large organization, but it probably wasn't at one point. But now they have, I don't even know, have a very large counseling department, full-time staff, and quite a large array of differing departments within the organization. And I I can visualize something like that for us down the road. I think there's some exciting times ahead and we just have to be careful and make sure that we uh, make good business decisions and grow the right way. What is one of the most difficult situations that DVRC has encountered and what could have potentially helped with that challenge? Yeah, so something that we struggle a lot with is shelter. So most of our victims, they are trying to escape the situation. We do depend on shelters in the community to be able to keep them safe. And sadly, after COVID, everything changed. They were like at a point working at, I think, at 25% capacity, then they increased it to 50. And they haven't, like, it haven't changed since then. They are still working like at low capacity. And most of the times, whenever we are trying to find a place for our clients, that's that's the biggest struggle. Like we, we can't find sometimes a shelter. 
we do need support with housing for sure. Right now, like we also can provide resources for relocation, but with the rent in- increasing so much, like sometimes our clients are like working a full-time job and able to like, you know, cover rent. And then whenever they start looking for it, they tell us like, it is impossible. Like I cannot find a place that I am going to be able to pay for. And even when we provide, you know, the information for low income housing, there's a really long waiting list and housing takes forever. Like if you apply for any of the housing resources that are in the community, it's going to take forever for you to be able to to get housed. So I think that's something that is really worrying me at this time because we can provide, you know, like safety for some 15 days, like probably up to a month. But what's going to happen to that survivor later? So that's one of the things that worried us the most. We have families coming here with children. Like uh, we recently had a person who was playing with two kids and, and a newborn. And we, we were trying to find a place and it took us for like a really long time. We were able to find something for her, but that's not the reality for everyone. And what is really scary is that what's the other option that they have, like to go back to their offenders, putting themselves at risk because they don't want to be on the streets, you know? So it is something that it's really needing more support and we are struggling with that. There's not enough shelter for all of the victims that we are getting. Kristen, was there anything you wanted to add to that? No, she's, she's hit the nail right on the head. The shelters are, are full or aren't, op- like she mentioned, like Mary mentioned, not operating at capacity. So still, and, you know, of course, that being a, you know, congregate environments that they are, they do end up with cases of COVID and so forth. And so they're not operating at full capacity and they're not, there's not a lot of beds to begin with. It's quite a shocking situation. And I do think it's nationwide from what I've heard. I'm looking forward to uh, the end of this month, a couple of weeks here. I'll be heading to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence's annual conference in St. Louis. So I'll be present with uh, a whole bunch of other people from other states. So I'm curious as to what I'll learn with regard to the availability in other states. But I would imagine it's a, it's a pretty rampant problem. And, you know, victims, they are, they are amazing. Like whenever they become survivors, they are going to do everything in their power to do it. So sometimes we even like move them to other cities and they are willing to do any of it to stay safe. And they just keep coming to the appointments with us. And eventually like something happens, but it needs a lot of patience. And sometimes the survivors, they really need to take their children to a place and and to work and like childcare and everything. So sometimes it gets like even more complicated, but they are so resilient. Like once they start working with us and like engaging in the program, they understand that it's going to take time. But we are going to do everything to like, even if we have to move them several times, you know, to keep them safe. And it is a difficult situation, 
but it's manageable. Like, and it's amazing to work with other organizations because if one organization has housing, they are like, hey, we have housing, send them here. And if if for some reason, like that's off the table, like we keep searching for other options, you know? So eventually we are able to support them and like find something for them. But sometimes it can take some months. So it is not that they are going to end up on the streets. I don't think any victim service provider it's gonna allow that from happening (laughs) we are gonna contact everyone in the state if needed but it is a struggle it is really difficult to navigate all of the housing programs and like finding the correct place for the victims what do you feel is one of the most challenging issues that your community faces specifically i would say that the need for spanish-speaking advocates is Fairly unique, unique to Albuquerque, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, we do work with a large community of Hispanic, but yeah, we also have like Enlace Comunitario that provides like amazing uh, resources for them. And here in, in uh, DVRC, we have five advocates that speak Spanish. So Holly is one of them. <laughs> And we we are able to assist the clients. But also something that I've been hearing a lot more is that whenever they are calling 911, it's taking a little longer for officers to respond. So maybe that's something that is really worrying me about our clients, that they are communicating with an emergency line and they are still having to wait for hours for someone to respond. So that's pretty scary. I think that's something that needs to be taken care of. And I understand that most of the officers that we have now, they are new. So uh, we are still needing more people willing to work for the community, you know, and like, so we can build up all of these response. And right now with ACS, I feel that that's supporting a lot in, in taking a lot of officers away from situations that they don't need to respond. So they can take care of like domestic violence calls that are pretty violent. And that's why we, whenever we respond to DV calls, we wait for them to let us know that it is safe for us to go. Because uh, domestic violence calls can become crime scenes really fast. And we don't want to put anyone in danger. So yeah, it is important like to keep hiring more officers, expanding ACS providing more services in the community so the victims can have more places where they can go, putting in place more safety plan, creating safety plans with people in general. Like, what's your plan if something happens to you or your family? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go if you don't have a phone? So creating all of these as a community, like being able to speak about difficult subjects and normalizing speaking about difficult subjects. It's something that it's going to provide a lot of feedback to everyone and helping everyone to stay safer. Kristen, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? Well, the only thing I guess that I might mention is to let you know, there's a group of us, like a multidisciplinary domestic violence related group. So there's there's attorneys in the group. There's administrative people like me. I think Maria's part of it too. A varied group of people that has come together and uh, written a letter to someone high up at the APD. We're asking them to please consider creating a designated DV unit 
so that we can make sure that these officers, especially the newer ones, the green ones, who aren't accustomed to working with domestic violence, get the proper training on how to respond to those situations. So we'll see what APD comes back with. How do you feel like your community could help? Donate, donate, donate. Yeah. Donate to your local organizations, like yeah. volunteer, spread the word about domestic violence. It's not only intimate partner, it's from everywhere. Like we support here, like victims are being abused by their children, by their like siblings, intimate partners for a- any type. So really it is important for us to talk about it, the community to talk about it and to donate. The resources are, are needed. Donate to the coalitions that support us. Like, really contact your legislators. Let them know that a lot of work is needed still, not only for domestic violence, but also for sexual assault. There's a lot to do. And it's still, it still amazes me at this juncture, 2022. It's still not a subject that is openly. It's an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people. Of course, not for us because we live it every day. But, you know, I've even had a dear friend say to me, well, why don't they just leave? And it's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, there's just so much more to it. It's such a complex thing that people, that's what people fail to to recognize, I guess, is the, the absolutely typical complexity of domestic violence. I mean, if there's one thing that's probably a through line in everybody's DV case is that it's complex and difficult for the psyche to wrap around the situation. So, and you know what, quite frankly, unless you've been in it or you've got lots of schooling and so forth, you probably don't have a very good idea of what it's all about. It's kind of a shame. Yeah, it's also like starting like, I I really think that once you start talking about it and stop victim blaming, for example, like taking that from the vocabulary that everyone just uses it, like, oh, this person is jealous because they care about you, you know, like, let's start to talk about the red flags, like being a jealous person and controlling person. It's not because someone cares about you it's not I don't do that because I care about this person I do it because I want to control this person I want power over this person so once we start like correcting others about these things and being like that's not okay like this is what leads to domestic violence then we are going to start to create a, a real conversation about domestic violence about putting the blame on the abusers and not the victims and making them like responsible for their actions. And whenever we find a, we find out that a person in our family, a person that we work with is in a, in a domestic violence relationship, just letting them know that it is safe for them to talk with you, that you are there to support them, that it is not their fault, that it is a really difficult situation that they were put in by someone else so they can feel safe to start talking and probably even reporting it it is so difficult for them to report it sometimes we have people coming here just to vent with us and the moment that we talk about resources they are like i'm not ready i just wanted someone to listen to me 
because I've been in, in this situation for years and no one in my family knows or even suspects about it. So domestic violence does not discriminate. It can be someone that you see every day that it's in a TV situation and you have no idea about it because a lot of victims, they listen to these conversations and they are like, oh, so if I talk about it, they are going to blame me because I'm not leaving, because I am not caring about it, because I'm not stopping this person and I'm staying in this relationship. And they already have a lot of blame. They blame themselves for a lot of things. And it's time to take that blame away from them and putting it in the correct person that it's the one that abuses them. So once we change the way that we communicate with others and we say like, you know, that's not okay. Like you never know who is a victim of domestic violence. Then we are probably going to start like changing the way we talk and understanding how important it is for us to support people who are in a domestic violence relationship. Thank you both so much for joining me today and for talking about these really important issues and talking about your program and the work that you're doing at DVRC. We should just real quick mention the hotline number, and that is 505-248-3165. That's a 24-7 helpline. So we're here for you. Is there anything else that you can think of that you would love to mention on the podcast before we sign off? I will say if you are calling law enforcement because you are a victim of domestic violence. It is your right to request a victim advocate to be present. The officers just need to contact dispatch and they will let us know and we will be happy to respond to the scene and be there for our victims. That's what we are here for and it is your right to request it. So as for a victim advocate always. We want to thank our programs that work tirelessly across the state to support those affected by domestic violence. Each and every staff member, advocate, therapist, and supporter is important. We appreciate you. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, there is help available. Please call the hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233 or visit their website on a safe device at www.thehotline.org. Love our conversations? Make sure to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast. You can submit questions and feedback to Rochelle at nmcadv.org. Thanks for listening in.